Hello, this is the Keswick Convention podcast. I'm your host, James Carey, and my guest this time is Christopher Ash, pastor, author, one-time director of the Proclamation Trust and now writer-in-residence at Tyndale House in Cambridge. He will be speaking from the Psalms at this year's virtually Keswick Convention. Hello, Christopher. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Even though 2020 is an odd year, the Keswick Convention has three fundamental priorities which shape all that we do as we look to serve the local church. So we're all about hearing God's word, becoming like God's son and serving God's mission. And it's looking through those uh, prisms, as it were, that we'll be working through uh, in the interview. So we think about hearing God's word. Christopher, where were you and how did that happen for you when, when you heard God's word? I was a teenager, uh, unusually um, for people of the current generation, in my generation, I had Christianity as the sort of wallpaper at the background of life. It was there in the background. And I suppose I sort of assumed it was probably true insofar as I thought about it, which I didn't very much. And then when I was 17, I was at a, a, a Christian event, a summer holiday thing. A friend had invited me. And I don't know if it was the first time I heard the gospel. It was the first time I listened. And um, God very kindly opened my heart. And I just very quietly received the Lord Jesus as as Lord and Saviour. And that was a a very low-key beginning. But Mm. in God's kindness, it was a real start. You say it was low-key and the wallpaper in your life was already Christian. At what point did you start to realise that what you'd what you'd done, what Christ had done in you, was possibly a more fundamental shift than you maybe first imagined? I think I knew pretty quickly. I think I realised that that personal commitment um, was uh, a, a really big thing and that that made a big, big difference to me. I think I knew that, that now it was, it was real. And, and did that manifest itself in the life choices you were already starting to make? Yes, I think so. I mean, I was only 17. I was only in sixth form. So um, I hadn't gone a long way down the, the path of sort of empty, empty living. But um, uh, yes, it did begin to. It began to, to, to show itself in the way I made decisions about sort of what to do after school and, um, and about just wanting to tell people that I was following Jesus. Mm. And how have you, from that point on, grown in that word? Obviously, you've gone on to become uh, a pastor and an author, but to what extent, uh, how, how did you get into actually studying God's word for yourself and that became a bit of a lifelong uh, pursuit and a quest for you? I think when I was, I was a teacher, I taught maths for uh, eight years. And uh, I, I think in those years... Sorry, no, 12 years. You can have need to change this. Let's start again. Well, you're a maths teacher, so I'm definitely going to leave that in. <laughs> That's terrible, isn't it? Can't yes. remember how many years I taught yes. maths for. Anyway, I taught maths for 12 years. And at the, the beginning of that time, I was living in a small town in the west of England. And um, I wasn't married at that stage uh, to start with. And to be honest, I was pretty lonely. Um, there weren't many people of my age, and certainly there weren't many Christians of my age around. And I think that was a, an important time when reading the Bible, praying, just beginning to learn to 
to have a real relationship with God in, in difficult days. That was, a, that was an important time for me, I think, those early years of, of, of teaching. There were other times that were significant. I mean, later on when I led a little church plant um, from, from, from being an assistant minister, that was pretty scary. Uh, I, <laughs> I really had to learn to depend on the Lord then. It is uh, amazing and always rather shameful that it's through God removing other things from our lives or throwing us into difficult situations that we slightly go crawling back to God's word, isn't it? And we think, goodness me, it was here all along. Yeah, it really is, isn't it? You you know, you read people saying that it's the hard times that are the times that God works in us. But I think it's really true. I wish it weren't. I mean, we have a heavenly father who's promised to make us like Jesus and he will do it. Yeah. I find myself often wishing it didn't hurt so much. Are there any particular scriptures or verses that um, stuck with you from from early age? I mean, they're the kind of verses that sometimes you end up being preached on at your wedding or those sorts of things. Are there little verses that just keep coming back to you or little stories from the Bible? I don't know about from those early days. I, 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 became a bit of a bible moth just sort of eating it all up and loving it all i i there was something that meant a lot to me in 2012 i found myself going through some kind of a breakdown and the words that jesus says in john's gospel where he says to his disciples the father himself loves you and just those simple words the father himself loves you i would say that to myself and say, Christopher, the Father himself loves you. And that meant a huge amount to me then and has done um, since, since then. Right. So um, we've talked about hearing God's words. We also talk about uh, becoming like God's son, maybe early on, but, um, but as, you, as you progressed in your faith, what is it, what was it about Jesus himself that you found most exhilarating? Ah, there's so much, isn't there? I think I keep coming back to Jesus in his full humanity, walking those years on earth with that extraordinary intimacy with the Father, knowing how the Father loved him, loving the Father and seeking to obey him day by day. I just, I found myself remembering that he did that in his full humanity and marvelling at that extraordinary intimacy, just knowing how difficult the rest of us find, you know, walking with a real sense of God's presence, with all the privileges we have, and to see him doing that through his life on earth. Wonderful. I mean, that is a really inspiring uh, way of thinking, but also there are parts which challenge us. And what is it about Jesus? Or what are the stories or passages that you read that just continue to kind of get under your skin and cause self-examination? I, I think those times in the Gospels, and there's probably quite a lot really, where Jesus is under pressure not to go the way of the cross. I take it that the temptations at the beginning of Mark and Luke, in Mark 4 and Luke 4, I take it that that's what's happening there, that the devil wants above all things to stop Jesus going to the cross. And of course, later in Matthew 16, where Simon Peter says, don't, don't do it. 
don't go that way. And um, I, that, I keep coming back to that because Jesus repeatedly says to his followers, you need to take up the cross, take up the cross every day in Luke 9 and follow me. And I don't want to do that. Hmm. I'm never going to want to do that. Yeah. It goes back to what we were saying earlier about how we grow through those difficult times and we rather think, well, can I? Can, I'm sure if if push comes to shove through good times, I could also grow. And there was no really no need for those difficult times. But yeah, that's not that's not how Christ is presented in the scriptures, is it? No, no. Um, and when you um, when you meet him face to face and you, you you see him, are there any things in particular you will be saying to him? Could you just clear up a couple of things for me that have always puzzled me? Or is there anything that you would? Are there any things like that you think? Goodness me, is, c- could we have a bit of a, an explanation on this chapter of Genesis, please? Um, <laughs> I've got to preach on a couple of Sundays' time that wonderful passage in Philippians, which says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, you know, to be with Christ, which is far better. Uh, the, 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 the prospect of being in the immediate presence of the Lord Jesus is so extraordinary. I'm not sure I shall want to say anything, but if I do... If I do say anything, I think I'd want to ask the Lord why he persevered with me. You know, I, I look at the sort of ups and downs of my Christian life and my pathetic faithlessness and, and stumbling left, right and centre and failing all over the place. And I just think, why was he so patient? Why is he so patient with me? Yes, no, I think uh, many of us will be able to identify uh, with that. So we've um, been talking about becoming like God's son and also serving God's mission. Um, you you were a math teacher for um, X number of years and uh, and then you decided to stop being a math teacher. And since then, you've actually gone through a number of different kinds of, of jobs uh, and roles. So how, how do you think that God, um, that Jesus has been using you in his mission? And has he used you in the way that you expected? Um, how, how has that worked out? Yeah, I'm not sure I expected to be used at all. And it's, it's really hard to tell, isn't it? Because the things that really matter, changes in people's lives, are often not really measurable. Um, I think what surprised me is um, that I didn't really mean to get into writing because at heart I'm a pastor and a preacher. Uh, but I did get into writing and seem to have written a few more books. And sometimes I get letters or emails from people which express real gratitude and, and real thankfulness. And I find myself thinking, thank you, Lord, for using something I've written to somebody's encouragement or, or to somebody's blessing. So that's been great. I mean, Just more recently, I think both my wife Carolyn and I um, are aware of the privilege of just because we've been around the block slightly more than uh, younger people, the privilege sometimes of just being able to get alongside some people earlier in their Christian walk and just gently encourage them. Mm. And we, we love doing that. How have you looked um, for guidance in, term, in how you've moved from one form of ministry to another so at one point you were a math teacher and that is a that is a fine job to do doing and actually many many christian staff have a great influence over many many children in schools as well but there was a point where you decided that that wasn't for you and that something else was 
and then there was a point when you were in ministry where actually you decided to um, uh, take up the position as director of the Proclamation Trust and to almost step away from personal ministry, but to start ministering potential ministers and Bible teachers. How, how do you navigate that sense of calling from one form of service to another? I, for me, it's often been other people who've suggested it. So I was very happy as a maths teacher. Uh, for however many years it was. And um, I really enjoyed it. I loved it till the moment mm. I finished. Uh, but somebody, well, one or two people had suggested that I train for ordained pastoral ministry. And eventually I thought, and Carolyn and I talked about it and prayed about it and thought, let's, let's, let's have a go. doesn't sound very spiritual, but it was it was a bit like that. Mm. The Cornhill training course, uh, David Jackman approached me and said, would I consider doing it? And and I thought, do you know, I think maybe I could have a go at that. Mm. So it's, it's not been anything super hyper-spiritual, but people have often suggested, people I respect have often oh. suggested things. And I've thought, yeah, that, that makes sense. Mm. So, yes, it's... It's always a combination of factors, isn't it? It's not just the it's it's the it's the suggestion. It is who is making the suggestion. It is what they are suggesting. It is what I've been doing. Am I equipped for this? Well, in some ways, this. In some ways, maybe not. I guess we'll find out. Yes, yes, that's right. So the church plant from St Andrew the Great, where I was an assistant minister, I really didn't want to do it. Hmm. Uh, so the guidance there was that it needed to be done. And there wasn't anybody else to do it who was in a position to do it. So uh, that was just a case of, I thought, well, I'd better do it. <laughs> wow. A true, a true Gideon-style calling there. <laughs> I mean, I didn't broadcast that to the others at the time because it's not very no. good for morale. Sure. I, was, I, I really wasn't feeling very positive yeah. about it. God was yeah. extraordinarily kind yeah. to us. So what would you say to, uh, especially young people who it seems... I was talking to a fellow the other day who has a, um, a son or a daughter who was 19 or 20 and was paralysed with indecision about taking another gap year, going to university. What were they going to do with their entire lives? And it struck me that we live in a world where actually somebody who is 18 or 19 now might have three or four different careers. Whereas maybe 30, 40, 50 years ago, you would get a job, you would work for the gas board and that would be you for 50 years or you would yeah. you would become a postman or you would be a civil servant or an accountant. And so it feels like the decisions you make at the ages of 18 or 19 matter less rather than more. And yet we have an, a, a generation that are racked with anxiety. How, I mean, do you, do you meet people in those situations and, and how, do you, how would you sort of pastor someone to... To, to be able to sense a discernment of what to do next. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think that's a very shrewd observation that people, it's, it's like in the supermarkets, bewildered by the choice um, open to us. It's the same when people are wondering whether to get married or who to marry. They're, they're, they're thinking, oh, I need to get make the right choice. I've got so many choices. Well, some people have anyway. <laughs> some um, do. <laughs> um, and I, I... I want to try and play down the drama of it all and say, look, these things you've suggested are all good, assuming they are, and often they are. You know, these these are great. You could serve Jesus and honour God in these different ways. Just go for one of them. Right. See what happens. I think sometimes people are waiting for a, a blinding light or a, 
a very clear sense. And sometimes people get them and sometimes they don't. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yes, no, that seems very, very sensible and wise. Hello, Kate here from Keswick Ministries. If you're enjoying this podcast, why not check out Keswick's other podcast, Kes Talks. They're a selection of talks from God's Word given at the Keswick Convention that we hope and pray will be particularly helpful to people in the times we face now. Kes Talks, available on iTunes, Spotify and your podcasting apps. So having done all of the things that you have done, you are still a member of a local church. Um, how does someone like you serve in a local church setting? Because Keswick is still always about the local church, not trying to set up any kind of parachurch organisation. How do you, Christopher Ash, try to be a blessing in your church situation? It's a great privilege to be part of a Christian fellowship. And, and just at the moment in lockdown, I find Sundays really difficult because I miss my church family more than ever. The way I serve, well, I'm, I'm part of the preaching team. Our senior minister kindly invites me to, to contribute to the, to the preaching, and I love doing that. I try and do a little bit of Bible training with our interns and um, some, of the, some of the members of staff, and I enjoy doing that. Um, I try and to, to encourage our senior minister, actually. He and I meet up every now and then. I pray with him, and I think he finds it an encouragement to have somebody who's just that little bit older who's you know, been a, been a minister um, to encourage him. And of course, in, you know, getting alongside individuals, encouraging them. So it's not wildly different from the way other people um, yeah. join and serve in a local church. And it's, yeah. a, it's a joy. So let's look ahead to virtually Keswick 2020. You'll be speaking uh, from the Psalms on um, uh, in the last week of July. Have you picked which psalms you're going to speak on yet? And what is it about the psalms in particular that have uh, caused you to write not only a short book, but longer books and even longer books uh, on the psalms? Oh, I love the psalms. I'm so glad to have permission to expound them at Keswick. Yes, I'm going to have a go at Psalms 2, 3, 4, 5 and 6. Um, okay. Partly because they're the ones I'm working on. For uh, I'm trying to write a longer commentary on how we appropriate the psalms christianly trying to relate them to christ um in 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 really um thoughtful ways so that's what i'm trying to work on so i i thought it would be quite good to do some consecutive psalms we we don't often do that in our preaching though, though some churches do i think and there's some value in in doing consecutive psalms seeing how they fit together all sorts of connections between them i love them because I, I, I love the way that the poetry gets to our affections as well as our intellects. Uh, so we, we feel how we ought to feel and uh, our, our, our feelings are, are shaped the way they ought to be by the Spirit of Christ. I love the way the Psalms give us a window into the, um, the, 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 the human soul of the Lord Jesus. I love the way they give us an insight into his affections and his sufferings and his feelings and his triumph. Um, so there's lots about the Psalms that I, I really love, um, but I think they're quite difficult. I mean, I think what we tend to do is just to cherry pick the bits we like from the Psalms. And I'm committed to trying to uh, help us to, to, to learn to pray all of all the Psalms. And that involves some quite difficult bits. 
Is it because they're difficult that you think they have been rather neglected? It does seem like there are 150 psalms of the of the Bible and they're right there in the middle. They're very hard to miss. And yet somehow, maybe in the last few decades, we have rather missed them. And it seems that they're making something of a comeback. Where did they go and, and how come they're back? That's a really good question. I hope they are coming back. I, I My understanding, the, the two times where Paul talks in, in uh, Ephesians and Colossians of, of singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, which I think are all psalms probably when those words are rightly understood. Um, I, I, I think he implies that churches ought to be singing psalms. So when we're not singing psalms, I think we need to think carefully, you know, whether, we're, whether we ought to change and go back to that. I think part of the reason is just cultural. You know, the, the, the chanting of psalms that I was brought up with can be pretty dreary and pretty yeah. awful unless it's done by a good choir. And you want something that a congregation can sing. It's great that some people are like um, Matt Searles, for example, and there are others who are, who are working hard at trying to set psalms to musical settings that congregations can sing. So I think there are cultural reasons, and, and it's great to see it beginning to come back. I think there are theological reasons. It, it's easier to sing um, a, a, a hymn or a Christian praise song uh, because for the Psalms, we need to do a bit of translation, really, right? To, to, to appropriate them Christianly. And perhaps it's also easier to preach from raw theology. You may find in epistles, which doesn't require as much explanation, or you're not trying to wade your way through florid language, which appears to be contradictory, which appears to be ambiguous. And it may be as um, the way we are today, we like the clarity that pauline theology is laid out as opposed to the 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 flowing of themes that you get through psalms which require an awful lot more unpicking don't they yeah i think they do um although part of the problem i think is we sometimes treat them as if they were romans mm. uh, and then we're in real trouble because they're not and um, the way they work in terms of their structuring varies widely and sometimes i think we try to squeeze them into a nice tidy structure. Sometimes they flow to and fro um, in and out of different themes. Um, so I, I'm sure you're right. Having said that, I think there's something wonderfully liberating about uh, allowing our thinking and our feeling to go with the flow of Psalms. I'm sure everyone listening will be very much looking forward to hearing you preach on um, Psalms 2, 3, 4, 5 and 6 and wondering what on earth Psalm 1 has done to be deserve to be left off that list i can tell you it was okay. it was preached at keziget in the last couple of years okay great so uh we can refer the listeners to previous uh, talks we look forward to that so much christopher as ever it's been an absolute joy to speak to you thank you very much goodbye thanks for listening and cheerio